This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sansre Lise Calver, Pasadena, California. The Story Girl by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter 14 Forbidden Fruit. We were all, with the exception of Uncle Roger, more or less grumpy in the household of King next day. Perhaps our nerves had been upset by the excitement attendant on Jimmy Patterson's disappearance, but it's more likely that our crankiness was the result of supper we had eaten the previous night. Even children cannot devour mince pie, and cold fried pork ham, and fruit cake before going to bed with entire impunity. Aunt Janet had forgotten to warn Uncle Roger to keep an eye on our bedtime snacks, and we ate what seemed good unto us. Some of us had frightful dreams, and all of us carried chips on our shoulders at breakfast. Felicity and Dan began a bickering which they kept up the entire day. Felicity had a natural aptitude for what we call bossing, and in her mother's absence she deemed that she had a right to rule supreme. She knew better than to make any attempt to assert authority over the story girl, and Felix and I were allowed some length of tether, but Cicely, Dan, and Peter were expected to submit dutifully to her decrees. In the main they did, but on this particular morning Dan was plainly inclined to rebel. He had had time to grow sore over the things that Felicity had said to him when Jimmy Patterson was thought lost, and he began the day with a flatly expressed determination that he was not going to let Felicity rule the roost. It was not a pleasant day, and to make matters worse it rained until late in the afternoon. The story girl had not recovered from the mortifications of the previous day. She would not talk, and she would not tell a single story. She sat on Rachel Ward's chest and ate her breakfast with the air of a martyr. After breakfast, she washed the dishes and did the bedroom work in a grim silence. Then, with a book under one arm and Pat under the other, she betook herself to the window seat in the upstairs hall and would not be lured from that retreat, charmed we never so wisely. She stroked the purring patty, and re-read steadily on, with maddening indifference to all of our pleadings. Even Cicely, the meek and mild, was snappish, and complained of headache. Peter had gone home to see his mother, and Uncle Roger had gone to Markdale on business. Sarah Ray came up, but was so snubbed by Felicity that she went home crying. Felicity got the dinner by herself, disdaining to ask or command assistance. She banged things about and rattled the stove covers until even Cicely protested from her sofa. Dan sat on the floor and whittled, his sole aim and project being to make a mess and annoy Felicity, in which noble ambition he succeeded perfectly. "'I wish Janet and Uncle Alec were home,' said Felix. "'It's not half so much fun having the grown-ups away as I thought it would be.' "'I wish I was back in Toronto,' I said sulkily. The mince pie was to blame for that wish. I wish you were, I'm sure, said Felicity, riddling the fire noisily. Anyone who lives with you, Felicity King, will always be wishing he was somewhere else, said Dan. I wasn't talking to you, Dan King, retorted Felicity. Speak when you're spoken to. Come when you're called. Oh, 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 wailed Cicely on the sofa. I wish it would stop raining. I wish my head would stop aching. I wish Ma had never gone away. I wish you'd leave Felicity alone, Dan. I wish girls had some sense, said Dan. 
which brought the orgy of wishing to an end for the time. A wishing fairy might have had the time of her life in the king kitchen that morning, particularly if she were a cynically inclined fairy. But even the effects of unholy snacks wear away at length. By tea time, things had brightened up. The rain had ceased, and the old, low rafter room was full of sunshine, which danced on the shining dishes of the dresser, made mosaics on the floor, and flickered over the table whereon a delicious meal was spread. Felicity had put on her blue muslin, and looked so beautiful in it that her good humor was quite restored. Cicely's headache was better, and the story girl, refreshed by an afternoon siesta, came down with smiles and sparkling eyes. Dan alone continued to nurse his grievances, and would not even laugh when the story girl told us a tale brought to mind by some of the Reverend Mr. Scott's plums which were on the table. The Reverend Mr. Scott was the man who thought the pulpit door must be made for spirits, you know, she said. I heard Uncle Edward telling ever so many stories about him. He was called to this congregation, and he labored here long and faithfully, and was much beloved, though he was very eccentric. "'What does that mean?' asked Peter. "'Hush! It just means queer,' said Cicely, nudging him with her elbow. "'A common man would be queer, but when it's a minister it's eccentric.' "'When he gets very old,' continued the story girl, "'the presbytery thought it was time he was retired. "'He didn't think so, but the presbytery had their way, "'because there were so many of them to one of him. "'He was retired, and a young man was called to Carlisle.' Mr. Scott went to live in town, but he came out to Carlisle very often and visited all the people regularly, just the same as when he was their minister. The young minister was a very good young man and tried to do his duty, but he was dreadfully afraid of meeting old Mr. Scott because he had been told that the old minister was very angry at being set aside and would likely give him a sound drubbing if he ever met him. One day the young minister was visiting the Crawfords in Markdale when they suddenly heard old Mr. Scott's voice in the kitchen. The young minister turned pale as the dead and implored Mrs. Crawford to hide him. But she couldn't get him out of the room, and all she could do was to hide him in the china closet. The young minister slipped into the china closet, and old Mr. Scott came into the room. He talked very nicely and read and prayed. They made very long prayers in those days, you know, and at the end of his prayer he said, O oh Lord, bless this poor young man hiding in the closet. Give him courage not to fear the face of man. Make him a burning and shining light to the sadly abused congregation. Just imagine the feelings of the young minister in the china closet. But he came right out like a man, though his face was very red, as soon as Mr. Scott was done praying and they were the best of friends ever afterwards. "'How did old Mr. Scott find out the young minister was in the closet?' asked Phyllis. "'No one ever knew. They supposed he had seen him through the window before he came into the house, and guessed he must have been in the closet, but there was no way for him to get out of the room.' "'Mr. Scott planted the yellow plum tree in Grandfather's time,' said Cicely, peeling one of the plums, and when he did it, he said it was as Christian an act as he ever did. I wonder what he meant. I don't see anything very Christian about planting a tree. I do, said the story girl sagely. When next we assembled ourselves together, it was after milking, and the cares of the day were done with. 
we foregathered in the balsam-fragrant aisles of the fir-wood and ate early August apples to such an extent that the story girl said we made her think of the Irishman's pig. An Irishman who lived at Markdale had a little pig, she said, and he gave it a pailful of mush. The pig ate the whole pailful, and then the Irishman put the pig in the pail, and it didn't feel more than half the pail. Now how was that, when it held a whole pailful of mush? This seemed to be a rather unanswerable kind of conundrum. We discussed the problem as we roamed the wood, and Dan and Peter almost quarreled over it, Dan maintaining that the thing was impossible, and Peter being of the opinion that the mush was somehow made thicker in the process of being eaten, and so took up less room. During the discussion we came out to the fence of the hill pasture, where grew the bad berry bushes. Just what these bad berries were I cannot tell. We never knew their real name. They were small, red-clustered berries of a glossy, seductive appearance, and we were forbidden to eat them, because it was thought they might be poisonous. Dan picked a cluster and held it up. "'Dan King, don't you dare eat those berries,' said Felicity in her bossiest tone. "'They're poison. Drop them right away.' Now Dan had not had the slightest intention of eating the berries. But at Felicity's prohibition, the rebellion which had smoldered in him all day broke into sudden flame. He would show her. "'I'll eat them if I please, Felicity King,' he said in a fury. "'I don't believe they're poison. Look here!' Dan crammed the whole bunch into his capacious mouth and chewed it up. "'They taste great,' he said, smacking, and he ate two more clusters, regardless of the horror-stricken protestations and Felicity's pleadings. We feared that Dan would drop dead on the spot, but nothing occurred immediately. When an hour had passed, we concluded that the bad berries were not poison after all, and we looked upon Dan as quite a hero for daring to eat them. "'I knew they wouldn't hurt me,' said loftily. "'Felicity's so fond of making a fuss over everything.' Nevertheless, when it grew dark and we returned to the house, I noticed that Dan was rather pale and quiet. He lay down on the kitchen sofa. "'Do you feel all right, Dan?' I whispered anxiously. "'Shut up,' he said. I shut up. Felicity and Cicely were setting out a lunch in the pantry when we were all startled by a loud groan from the sofa. "'Oh, I'm sick. I'm awful sick,' said Dan abjectly, all the defiance and bravado gone out of him. We all went to pieces except Cicely, who alone retained her presence of mind. "'Have you got a pain in your stomach?' she demanded." "'I've got an awful pain here. "'If that's where my stomach is,' moaned Dan, "'putting his hand on a portion of his anatomy "'considerably below his stomach. "'Oh, oh, oh!' "'Go for Uncle Roger,' commanded Cicely, "'pale but composed. "'Felicity, put on the kettle. "'Dan, I'm going to give you mustard and warm water.' "'The mustard and warm water produced its proper effect promptly, "'but gave Dan no relief. "'He continued to writhe and groan. Uncle Roger, who had been summoned from his own place, went at once for the doctor, telling Peter to go down the hill for Mrs. Ray. Peter went, but returned accompanied by Sarah only. Mrs. Ray and Judy Pinu were both away. Sarah might better have stayed home. She was of no use, and could only add to the general confusion, wondering aimlessly about, crying and asking if Dan was going to die. Cicely took courage of things. Felicity might charm the palate, and the story girl bind captive the soul, but when pain and sickness wrung the brow, it was Cicely who was the ministering angel. She made the writhing Dan go to bed. 
She made him swallow every available antidote which was recommended in the doctor's book, and she applied hot cloths to him until her faithful little hands were half scalded off. There was no doubt Dan was suffering intense pain. He moaned and writhed and cried for his mother. Oh, isn't this dreadful? said Felicity, wringing her hands as she walked the kitchen floor. Oh, why doesn't the doctor come? I told Dan the bad berries were poison, but surely they can't kill people altogether. Pa's cousin died of eating something forty years ago, sobbed Sarah Ray. Hold your tongue, said Peter in a fierce whisper. You ought to have more sense than to say such things to the girls. They don't want to be any worse scared than they are. But Pa's cousin did die, reiterated Sarah. Aunt Jane used to rub whiskey on for a pain, suggested Peter. We haven't any whiskey, said Felicity disapprovingly. This is a temperance house. But rubbing whiskey on the outside isn't any harm, argued Peter. It's only when you take it inside it is bad for you. Well, we haven't any anyhow, said Felicity. I suppose blueberry wine wouldn't do in its place. Peter did not think blueberry wine would do any good. It was ten o'clock before Dan began to get better, but from that time he improved rapidly. When the doctor who had been away from home when Uncle Roger reached Markdale came at half past ten, he found his patient very weak and white, but free from pain. Dr. Greer patted Cicely on the head, told her she was a little brick, and had done just the right thing, examined some of the fatal berries, and gave it as his opinion that they were probably poisonous, administered some powders to Dan, and advised him not to tamper with forbidden fruit in the future, and went away. Mrs. Ray now appeared, looking for Sarah, and said she would stay all night with us. "'I'll be much obliged to you, if you will,' said Uncle Roger. "'I feel a bit shook.' I urged Janet and Alec to go to the Halifax, and took the responsibility of the children while they were away, but I don't know what I was letting myself in for. If anything had happened, I could never have forgiven myself, though I believe it's beyond the power of mortal man to keep watch over the things that children will eat. Now, you young fry, get straight off to your beds. Dan is out of danger, and you can't do any more good. Not that any of you have done much except Cicely. She's got a head on her shoulders. It's been a horrid day all through, said Felicity drearily, as we climbed the stairs. I suppose we made it horrid ourselves, said the story girl candidly. But it'll be a good story to tell some time, she added. I'm awful tired and thankful, sighed Cicely. We all felt that way. End of chapter 14